Harper Children's Church, Romans chapter number 12 this morning. Well, it couldn't be said any better than that, could it? God has been good, and I'm so thankful for that, and uh, don't ever want to lose sight of the goodness of God in my life. Sometimes I think that circumstances or uh, the things surrounding us in our lives, our problems, uh, sometimes the insurmountable walls that we're facing uh, can uh, take away uh, from the fact uh, that uh, God's been good uh, to us. And um, I just uh, don't ever want to forget that even during the difficult times, especially during the difficult times, to remember uh, how good uh, God is and uh, how good God has been, how good God will be uh, in the future. And uh, so I'm thankful for that. Aren't you glad for the mountaintops? I I love the mountaintop experiences of life and uh, sitting up on the mountaintops. uh, We see the blessings of God and we just... uh, Got a smile on our face, and everything seems to be going great and uh, going good. And of course, there's also valleys uh, in life, and sometimes valleys are difficult, and uh, some valleys are certainly harder uh, than other valleys in our lives. But one thing sometimes we forget is that the God that is on the mountaintop. Uh, is the same God in the valley times, and um, I'm thankful for that. Sometimes we forget it, uh, but we meet, meet, need to be reminded uh, from time to time that though circumstances change and uh, problems may increase or decrease, God doesn't change. Uh, he is the same yesterday and today and forever, and I'm thankful, as I know you are uh, as well. I always go, uh, when it comes to God not changing, I always love the fact that the very last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, uh, is the last book before God is silent for 400 years. And just before God is silent for 400 years, and we pick up in Matthew, those 400 silent years, just before that, God makes this statement in the book of Malachi. I am God, I change not. And uh, what an encouragement that is when God seems to be silent in a circumstance or a problem in our lives. Just remember, He is God and He doesn't change. Romans chapter 12, familiar passage uh, of Scripture. Many of you have this uh, uh, passage memorized. Romans chapter number 12, uh, verses 1 and 2. Paul here, uh, speaking to the church at Rome, says to them, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies uh, a living sacrifice, uh, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I want to talk to you this morning on this subject, our reasonable reasonable service living. Reasonable service living. So I want you to take your two fingers, just like this, like, is that 
the Boy Scout, I don't know, I wasn't a Boy Scout, but this, take your two fingers, and then I want you to take your arm, and I want you to take, take your two fingers and put them down here on your wrist. You feel that? Boop, boop. You don't feel, if you don't feel that, call 911 immediately. But you feel that? Boop, boop. Some, some, some might be faster than others, but you feel that? You know what that means? That means you're alive. Okay? Hopefully you didn't have to do that to know that you're alive. But you, you get the example. We're all living right now. We're all alive, okay? One day, I'm not trying to be morbid, but one day, if barring the rapture of the church, we're all going to die. It's a point where a man wants to die after this to judgment. The scripture's clear on that. But we're not there yet. Right? I mean, we're, we are living and we are breathing now. We can all agree in the fact that we're living. Here's the thing about living, though. We're not all living the same way. We're not all living in the same place. Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad that I'm not living at your house? And I'll just be honest with you. I'm glad you're not living at my house, okay? And so we're not all living in the same place. We're not all living the same way. And so... We all live just a little bit different. I was talking in Sunday school this morning about the fact that, you know, uh, people look at things in different ways. We all have different perspectives on how we look at things. You could take an issue, and you can take three different people, and you probably have four different perspectives on that issue. Of what people think. If I got up here and I said, okay, I'm going to take a microphone and I'm going to pass the microphone around to every person and I want you to comment on this subject, gun control. Do you think everybody sitting here in this congregation is going to think the same way and and say the same thing? Not a chance. And by the way, you can take any subject you want to and you can pass the microphone and you're going to get different perspectives. Why? Because people look at things in different ways for different reasons. People live their lives differently. And that's okay to a certain extent. But we have to understand if we are born again children of God, what does that mean? That's a biblical terminology, born again. We've got to be careful of our terminology and how we, how we use the terminology uh, in, in our lives. What does it mean to be born again? It means to be forgiven. It means to be saved. It means to know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. It's an interesting thing. When I was at Trinity, I was in a bus ministry, and there used to be a, 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 a thing we called the dealing center. And the dealing center in Sunday school was the, is the place where if a child raised their hand when it came to the invitation, they would send them to the dealing center. You've got to remember Trinity was a church of thousands and thousands of people. And so you had to take your turn in the dealing center. And so we'd go down to the dealing center and we'd sit down in the dealing center and wait for the kids to come down and we'd talk to them about salvation. And when they get down, they sit down and we talk to them. My very first question... For them is, are you saved? And they would answer yes or no. If they answered answered yes or if they answered no, I'd always ask this follow-up question. What does it mean to be saved? Now, your mind would be blown at the different answers that you got from children. 
I'm here to tell you, your mind would be blown in the world we live in today out of the answers you got from adults of what it really means to be saved. And I'm telling you, what it means to be saved biblically, it means that your sins have been forgiven and that you placed your faith. Well, preacher, I don't have a lot of faith. It didn't say how much faith. It says the faith that you have, you placed in the finished work of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus died on the cross. He was buried, and then the third day He rose again. And the Bible says that He is at the right hand of the Father, the place of authority, interceding for you and me. You see, Jesus didn't die for Himself. Jesus was without sin. He didn't need a Savior. He was the Savior, and He is the Savior. So who did He die for? Everybody else. You see, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. So Jesus paid that sin debt. By the way, that was a sin debt that you owed, that I owed. And Jesus paid that sin debt. And so what is salvation? Salvation is placing our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you this morning, if you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then you've got to stop playing games. You've got to stop rolling the dice. Because one day we are going to pass from this life. And when we pass from this life, we will live forever Somewhere. And if we're going to go by the Bible, which is what we do here at Rinka Baptist Temple, then there's only two places that you can go, heaven or hell. And the only way to go to heaven is to have a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus Christ. He is the one and only Savior. Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus made that statement, John chapter 14. And so when we place our faith and trust in Christ, we are saved, our sins are forgiven, and one day when we pass from this life to be absent from this body, it will be to be present with the Lord. And so, if you're not saved, I, I beseech you. It's a biblical word meaning, I plead with you, I beg you, to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Get it settled. You see, 1 John 5 says that we can know that we know that we know that we have eternal life. We don't have to guess. We don't have to hope. We don't have to cross our fingers. We don't have to carry a lucky rabbit's foot. We can know for sure that we're saved if we'll believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. So, if you're not saved, I plead with you this morning, put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and He will save you. But if you are saved, when Paul speaks to the church at Rome... He uses this word, I beseech you therefore, brethren. He's talking to the church. He's talking to those that have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And I want you to know something about God. God expects some things out of His people. God never expects a lost man to act like a saved man doesn't do that. But I want you to know something. God doesn't expect a saved man to act like a lost man either. I hope you would agree with me with this statement. 
a dog barks and a cat meows. You don't expect to walk up to a gigantic Rottweiler. It looks you in the face and says, meow. I don't think so. What is the dog going to do? It's either going to bite you or it's going to bark. Generally, that's what dogs do. They bark. Generally, cats, they meow. And we don't expect them to do otherwise. And I'm telling you, God doesn't expect you, if you're lost, to, to act like a saved person. But I want you to know that as a saved person, God doesn't expect you to act like a lost person either. Be ye holy, God said, for I am holy. Be ye perfect, the scripture says, as I am perfect. What does that word perfect mean? It doesn't mean sinless. I've studied the Word of God, and nowhere in the Word of God does it say that God expects you to do something that you can't do. So God doesn't ask you to be perfect. Why? Because you can't be perfect. You see, when you got saved, your flesh... Remember what Paul said? That that's which, which is in me dwelleth no good thing. That flesh didn't get saved. And so, what is it? It's a war. The flesh against the spirit. The spirit against the flesh. And they're contrary to one another. It's a constant battle. Ephesians talks about, Ephesians 6 talks about this battle that we face every single day. And let me tell you what the devil wants. The devil wants you to act like the world. The devil wants you to act like the natural man or the old man. And the spirit that has changed you, that has transformed you by the renewing of your mind, Romans chapter 12 says, remember what Philippians says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He's changed us. What does 2 Corinthians 5.17 say? Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a... He's new. It's brand new. He's changed. Come up, come up from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. The Bible says that we ought to be different. Understand this and be clear on it, that you are not God's chosen people. That's the Jewish people. But I want you to know what you are. You are God's peculiar people. You know, pure means, it means different. It means changed. I'm not what I used to be. I'm glad for that. I'm not what... I don't talk like I used to talk. I don't walk like I used to walk. Why? Because I'm a better person? No, because God changed me. When I got saved, God made a change in me. And now, I live differently. And if you call yourself a Christian... I'm here to tell you, I'll just be plain and blunt about it. I believe there's a lot of people in our world today that are calling themselves Christian that I'm saying, huh? Really? Because you're not acting like a Christian. You're not talking like you're a Christian. You're not walking like you're a Christian. Your social media doesn't look like a Christian. Now, I'm not up here to be legalistic. I'm not here to tell you this is what you need to do and this is what you don't need to do. But I'm here to tell you the Bible says that if we're saved, we're changed. 
And we're different. We're not what we used to be. God has made us new. And there's some things that God expects out of His people. Of how we live, how we talk, how we walk. People are watching. Did you know that? Doesn't that seem a little creepy? But it's true. People are watching. People that you don't even know know who you are. It's true. And by the way, if you are in any kind of leadership in ministry, I guarantee you people know who you are. They're always watching. They're always paying attention. You know why? Because Christians are often talking about who they are, but then they're acting like the world. We talk about Bible study, and we talk about going to church, and we talk about prayer, our prayer life, and we talk about all these things that are supposed to be important to us. But we don't go to church. We don't read our Bibles. We don't take time to pray. We talk about all these things and how important these things are. And if we were given a microphone, we'd get up and talk about how important they are. But I want to know how worn out your Bible is. Often, I'll be in thrift stores. I always, almost always, buy used Bibles. The King James ones. Why? Well, some of them, unfortunately, are never used. And so I can give them away. Some of them that are used, I'm, I'm mesmerized by how used they are and how no family member wanted this used Bible with all these notes in it. Gustav Gableman. Never met him. No idea who he was. But he lived at Penny Farms. You ever heard of Penny Farms? It's in Florida over there by Orange Park, Middleburg area. It was started by J.C. Penny. J.C. Penny started this. Now, Penny Farms is an actual city as well, or city is a stretch, a town, whatever you want to call it. But Penny Farms is an actual retirement village. And this retirement village was started by J.C. Penny. It was started for the express purpose of putting up missionaries when they came home from the field. And then it became preachers and other people started coming and now it's just, it's just a retirement village now. But it was intended for missionaries. And when these missionaries would come home from the field or when these pastors would retire, they'd be able to come live here for a, for a, um, for a cheaper price. Not anymore. I tell you, I've heard it's very expensive to live at Penny Farms. But at, back in the day, well, what they would do is they'd come and they'd have these libraries. Can you imagine if I had to go to a retirement village and, you know, I'd have to have an extra room just to have my books. Well, they can't do that, and so they would get rid of their books. Well, what they would do is they would either put them in the library at Penny Farms, or they would sell them in the, in the little thrift store that nobody knew about, except for me. And they sold their books for 25 cents a book. I can tell you, my library is full of Penny Farm books. 
And my library is full of Gustav Gableman's books. His name is in the front of all these books. Some of them signed, some of them rare, some of them I won't even let people touch. They're so rare. And one day I was in there and Gustav Gableman's Bible was in there. I still have it today. I bought it. It's an old Thompson chain. You ever seen a Thompson chain reference Bible? Great Bible. Great chain reference Bible. You open that thing up and the cover falls off. Every single page has got writing in it. He abbreviated everything. Well, I'm here to tell you, I've studied that Bible so much, I've got his abbreviations down. I've got notes out of that Bible. I've got, I mean, all sorts of, I mean, he used his Bible. Do we use our Bibles? I mean, would somebody open, I'm not talking about maybe you just got a new Bible. I've got a preaching Bible I've had since I was saved. All I do now is preach out of it. This is the third time Genesis has come out. I can't, I just, I don't use it for study anymore because I want to keep it forever. And so I can't use it anymore uh, except for when I'm preaching. But I, I love my, but listen, if you gave me a Bible and said, find this verse, I'd say, okay, you'll have to give me a few minutes. In my Bible, shoot, there it is. Anybody ever experienced that? If you use your Bible a lot, you do. You know, there's some things that God expects out of His people. And these things that He expects are reasonable. That's what God says. For all that God has done. I'm telling you, we're too often blinded to the fact that God has been good to us. We're so worried about what Somebody down the road has, and they've got a nicer house and a bigger boat, and they got more toys, and, and I, don't, I don't have all those things. So we come to the conclusion that God hasn't been as good to me as He's been to so-and-so. Hogwash and foolishness is what that is. Just because somebody has more toys than you do doesn't mean God is better to them than He is to you. It probably just means they got more debt than you do. Is that right? A lot of times it is. You know, I say this all the time. You know, we look over uh, to the neighbor and the grass is greener on the other side. I say this all the time. The grass is probably greener because it's growing on a septic tank. In my neighborhood, we live in... We're the Clampets in my neighborhood, I can promise you. <clears throat> Clampets without the money. Uh, but uh, everybody in our neighborhood has, a, has the sprinkler systems in their yard. Are you kidding me? Do you know how expensive that is to have a sprinkle system in your yard? And I look around and they all have these lush, you know, lush yards and yard of the month and yard of the month and yard of the month and they ain't, I ain't never getting yard of the month. I got weeds and I try to keep them at bay and I try to kill them. Man, I, I'd, I'd, if I could, I'd put an AstroTurf in. So I'd never have to mow again. I can't stand having grass. And so, I mean, is it, you look around and everybody looks like, but guess what? All of their water bills are way higher than my water bill. I promise you. You see, it's about perspective on how we look at things. We've got to stop looking at everybody else and start looking at the person that's looking back at you in the mirror in the morning. 
What are you doing for the Lord? What are you doing to make a difference? How are you living that is affecting uh, not only your family and yourself, but other people? We need to serve the Lord. We need to live our lives like it matters. Because I want you to know something about your life. It matters. What you do matters. What you say matters. We talk a lot about it in our, in our church. We talk a lot about our mouth. That tongue. James tells us that, ch- that tongue is an unruly evil. And some people have no control over their tongue. And they say whatever comes out, the, oh, comes out of their head that comes out of their mouth. I'm telling you what we do. Damage, damage, damage. We hurt people with our words. We hurt people with the way we live our lives. Well, I'll tell you what, preacher. It doesn't matter how I can live my life. I got free will. We have no idea what we're talking about. We have absolutely no idea what we're talking about. Yes, God has given us free will, but He's given us free will so that we might live for Him. That's what our free will's for. Our free will is not to do whatever we please to do. You see, we think we can live any way that we want to. God excuses it, and then when we get to heaven, we're going to be rewarded with all these rewards. That's not, that's not the way it works. The rewards you get are based on how you lived your life here. as a a saved individual. So how you live does matter. We need to choose. We need to decide. We need to choose to live in holiness. We need to choose to live in holiness. I love Romans 6. Romans 6, 1 and 2 says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? What does God say? God forbid. Do you know what that word God forbid means? That phrase God forbid means? I'm going to tell you loosely what it means. What in the world are you thinking? Why in the world would you possibly think that you can live however you want to live? What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Why would you ask such a question? God has changed you. God has saved you. He's pulled you up out of the muck and the mire and the mud of life and He's set your feet upon a rock and He's established your goings. God has changed you. So it's time to start acting like it. We tell our kids as they grow up, you you need to act like you're a teenager. You need to act like you're grown. You need to act like, stop acting like a child. And people, I'm telling you, people, there's people that have been saved for 10, 20, 30 years. They're acting like toddlers. It's time to grow up. We need to grow up in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but as I go through issues, as I go through problems, I learn things. 
I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that I can read a biography or I can watch a documentary and I can learn from the mistakes of others. I don't want to make that mistake because I make that mistake. This is the result. Sometimes I'm too stubborn, just like sometimes you are. And we can't learn from the mistakes of others, so hopefully we can learn from our own mistakes. We love Mexican. We love to go to Mexican restaurants. I'll tell you, we could eat it every day of the week. Just love it. Well, if you've ever been to a Mexican restaurant, they will often bring things out on a plate that they had put in the oven. Anybody eat Mexican? Nobody eats Mexican? You know what I'm talking about. I know. I've seen some of you in the st- in restaurant. But they bring it out, and they bring it out on a glove. And they set it down in front of you, and they always say this, hot plate. Hot plate. Well, give me a break. It, it, ain't, it can't be that hot. You ever said that? I have. Reach down and move it, because I like to have my food in the same place every time I eat. Now, like in a certain way, it's just, I'm just OCD. And so, one time, uno, once, I reached down and grabbed a plate. And they were not kidding. It was hot. Now, every time they place a hot plate down and say hot plate, I believe them. Now, sometimes it's really not. You, you kind of touch it and, okay, it's but I promise you, I test it every time. Why? Because I about burnt all my fingertips off trying to move it. Learn. Learn from the mistakes that you make so that you don't make those mistakes again. I'm telling you what often we get caught up in. I call it the cycle of sin. And we get caught up in this cycle, this cycle of we sin and then we ask God for forgiveness and God forgives us and then we sin and we ask God for forgiveness and He forgives us and then we sin and we get in this cycle that needs to be broken. God has forgiven you. Move on from that sin. Allow God to teach you that there are consequences to the sins that we commit We need to choose to live in holiness. Why? Because God desires it. Be holy for I am holy, the scripture says. God desires for every one of us to live according to his will. One day, I made mention of it earlier. I said, it's appointed unto men once to die. But the latter half of that verse says, and after this, the judgment. You see, we're all going to stand before God one day. And I want you to know, everybody saved and lost will stand before God one day. Now, it's not one general judgment. There are two different judgments. There's the Bema seat for the Christian or the judgment seat of Christ that will go on while the tribulation period happens here on earth. And we'll stand before God and uh, Paul told the church at Corinth uh, that we'll answer for what we've done in our bodies, whether good or bad. We're going to answer for what we've done here one day. And then, uh, and then in the latter part uh, of prophecy, there'll be the great white throne judgment. 
It'll be a judgment without grace, a judgment without mercy. Where all lost people will stand before God one day. Every single knee will bow. And every single uh, tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's going to happen. Whether you are an atheist or agnostic or you can, you can talk about not believing God or you believe in this or you believe in that. But I'm going to tell you something. Every single person one day will answer before God. He desires holiness out of his people. Not only does he desire it, but number two, he deserves it. God deserves it. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. God deserves holiness out of His people. God deserves that we act differently, that we talk differently, that we walk differently from the world. We're in this world, but we're not of this world. We're ambassadors for Jesus Christ. You know what an ambassador is? It's a representative of another country. And the question is, are we representing God? Are we representing heaven well? Or are we just acting like the country that we're living in? And I'm telling you, I'm here to tell you there are some people that if you ask them if they were a Christian, they tell you yes. If you never ask them, you never tell. You know, to convict a person in a court of law, you have to have evidence. Well, usually. You've got to have evidence to convict a person. And if you don't have evidence to convict a person, they, they get off. They get exonerated. They don't, they don't go to jail because there's no Evidence to convict them. But man, if you have evidence, and you know beyond a shadow of a doubt, and there's eyewitnesses, and there's DNA, and there's fingerprints, and there's all these things. I mean, they got you on video. That evidence is going to convict you, and you're going to prison. You're going to jail. The question is, if the police stopped by your house this afternoon, put you in handcuffs, and took you to the police station, took you to a, to, to a court of law, and tried you for being a Christian, would they find any evidence? If they looked at your home, would they find any evidence? If they looked at your social media, would they find any evidence? If they talked to your friends, to your family, if they went to where you work or went you, where you went to school, would there be evidence enough to convict you? I'm afraid in a lot of cases there wouldn't be. In a lot of cases we'd get off. You know, it amazes me, and I know it's, it's, it's one of my kicks. And a lot of people think I'm completely against social media, and I'm not. I'm not against social media, but it amazes me. It absolutely astonishes me what people put on social media. How they talk on social media. How they dress on social media. The things that they put on social media absolutely blow my mind. 
And this idea, listen to me, I, I, I want to be really clear. This idea that you have a private social media is an absolute joke. I do nothing online. I mean, absolutely nothing online. Zero. And, and my, identi- my identity has been broken on two different occasions in my life. I do nothing on, on, on social media. If you think for one second that they can, that a person can break into to NASA on a computer and they can't get into your Facebook? Please. And this, this friendship, and I'm not going to be friends with this person, I'm going to be friends with this person, I'm telling you, what is it doing? It's separating people is what it's doing. And this idea of our young people having, having all these social medias and, and, they, and this YouTube and all this other stuff, and, well, I didn't get as much likes as this other person got. Well, I'm telling you, it's damaging. If we're not careful, we're not using it in the proper light, in the proper way. But it's amazing to me that we think we can live one way and talk another way, and it's okay. We can live like the world. We can carouse like the world. We can drink like the world. We can talk like the world. But by golly, we went to church on Sunday, so we're okay. You ain't going to find that anywhere in the Bible. Nowhere. Because God expects you to be the same person Everywhere you go. Whether you're at home or work or school or church, we ought not be putting on some kind of air of who we expect other people to think we are. Isn't it amazing? That's what, that's what humankind's made up of. Do you know how much time people spend in the mirror? How long it takes some people to get ready? And by the way, 99 times out of 100 has nothing to do with how they look to themselves. It's what everybody else might think how they look. Well, I'm here to tell you, I don't care. I got a line of suits. I wear one, put it at the end of the line. Wear the next one. Put it at the end of the line. I got ties. Let me tell you something. My ties go with every single suit I have. I'm not about all this. Does this match this? And should you wear white after whatever? And I guess that's, I don't know. I don't know anything about fashion. But I'm here to tell you, I just reach in a basket, grab a tie, and put it on in the morning. This idea that we're so worried about what everybody else thinks Here's our problem, and this is the major problem. We're worried about what everybody else thinks, but we're not worried about what God thinks. I mean, you can, you can look like a million dollars. I mean, you could have your, your hair right and your clothes right and your makeup right. And if, if you're a woman, I see a man and wear makeup, that's up to you. But anyways, you're, I mean, you got all, I mean, you look like a million dollars and you walk through the front doors and you know all the lingo, don't we? I call it, it's a language. Did you know it's a language? It's called Christianese. We know the words. We know the words to use. We talk about prayer and we talk about singing and and praise and worship and we use all the right words and then we go out the back door and we're like a chameleon. We're like a different person. We dress different and we talk different and we walk different and we look different and it's unbelievable to me. 
I'm, I'm telling you, I'm thankful for the person that when they walk through the door, I see them, then I see them out in the, out in the street. It's the same person. When we used to live here, where Forrest and Jessica live now, inevitably, I'd get this on Sunday. You got somebody mowing your lawn? Yeah, I wish. No. No, that was me out there mowing your lawn. That was you? You do know I don't wear a suit all the time. I certainly don't wear a suit mowing the lawn. Sometimes we do look a little different, right? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about being a completely different person. When I got saved, when I trusted Christ as my Savior, I went back home. I'm from upstate New York. Went back home and, well, God had just changed me. I mean, He changed the way I looked. He changed the way I talked. He cha- I mean, just changed everything about me. I was a new creature in Christ. I, my sister needed a ride somewhere. And so I said, all right, come on, Tina, get in, get in the car. And we got in the car, and I, and I drove her over to her friend's house and dropped her off. Mike Formell. Mike, if you're watching, probably from prison. But Mike was there, and he came outside. He opened the door, and Tina come, Tina come walking up. She told me later when I came back to pick her up, she said, Mike said, Tina, who in the world is that? Let me tell you, me and Mike were tight. We were close. I can't even tell you the things that me and Mike did growing up. He had absolutely no idea who I was. You know why? Because I was a different person. It's changed. God had changed me. Even the outlook, the way I looked, of course it helped that I was I didn't have long, flowy hair anymore. I didn't look like a punk and dress like a punk anymore. And so that was probably the biggest change. But he looked out and said, wow, something's different. Do people look at you and say, wow, something's different about her? Something's different about him. He don't talk like he used to talk. He don't walk like he used to walk. Stop being the same old person and be the person that God deserves for you to be. He desires it. He deserves it. And then he demands it. He demands it. It's time to start obeying the voice of the Lord. The Bible says to obey is better than sacrifice. And to hearken than the fat of rams. God says do it. Then just do it. I don't understand the conflict. I don't understand what we're thinking about or what we're praying about. If God says go to church, then go to church. If God says pray, then pray. If God says study the Word of God, then study the Word of God. Get doing the things God has called us to do and God means us to do because I'm telling you, the remnant that's in this world is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. I'm not here to tell you that there's not a lot of churches. Because there are. But you know it as well as I do. All churches are not created equal. And some churches you go in there and you're like, huh? This is a what? It's just a place of entertainment. It's often a a, a country club. It's often cold as ice. You see it time and time and time again. 
Why? Because so much falsehood has gotten into the church and is God amongst God's people. Let me tell you something, church. Let's be the lighthouse that God means us to be right here in Rankin, Georgia. When people come into our church, let it be clear where we stand. I'm not ashamed. Why should we be ashamed of the Word of God? I'm not ashamed of the Gospel of Christ, Paul said. It is the power of God unto salvation. To everyone that believes it, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek, let's not be ashamed of who we are. Let's stand strong on the Word of God. And I'm telling you, it matters, and it's going to matter even more as the days go, as the days go on and into the future. Let's bow our heads for prayer. This morning, our heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Maybe you're here this morning, you've never been saved. You never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Can I tell you this morning that God loves you? How do I know that? I know that because the Bible tells us so. God loves you supremely. He loves you sacrificially. Place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ this morning. But how do I do that, preacher? Let me tell you, I asked that same question when I was unsaved. What do I need to do? What do I need to throw down? What do I need to change? It's not about you. It's about Him. It's not about what we have done or do. It's about what He has already done. And as I said before, He died for you on that cross who was buried and rose again the third day. And the Bible says that He became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Are you saved? You say, preacher, I'm not sure about it. I'm not sure if I would die right now, I'd go to heaven to be with God, and I'm concerned about that. Would you pray for me? This morning, just slip your hand up and right back down. Head to bow, eyes are closed. It's between you and the Lord. Say, I'm not sure about my salvation, preacher. Please remember me in your closing prayers. There one. What a blessing. What a blessing it is to be saved. To know our sins are forgiven. To know that we have a place called a heaven waiting for us. That we'll spend eternity one day with God. But we're not there yet, church. We're still here. What are we doing with the life that God has given us? God demands, God deserves, God desires holiness out of His people. Are you listening? I'm talking about me. I'm talking about God. Are you listening to God? Are you paying attention to what God has to say in living accordingly? Let's stand together, head bowed, eyes closed, piano playing this morning, a hymn invitation. Can I invite you to come? Lord, help me. Help me to make right decisions. Help me to make godly decisions. Help me to live holy in this present life. If you need to come for whatever reason, as the piano plays this morning, you come.